zombie apocalypse <laughs> yikes <laughs> yeah the scariest human on the planet is ye right now Yee! hey did you you know what i'm so glad you started with that because i just finished he's on i forget the gentleman's last name his first name's lex he does a lot of you know podcast interviews with people really well known and Yi was just on, and it's brilliant. It I have a very different opinion about Yi right now. Well, I think most of us would love to escape the clutches of the evil media lords who convert all of the ideas. In. But you know what? Ultimately, I can see why Jewish people are really upset. Hey, in the interview, this is what he said. Jewish people own the media and the media is doing this. And I don't know how accurate that statement is that Jewish people own media, but it's a pretty generalized thing that a lot of Jewish people own. The media. <laughs> I am extremely underqualified to comment. I don't know either, but you know, we've heard that Hollywood is predominantly Jewish people. And again, hearing him on the interview, he was saying a lot of media is owned by a Jewish person and the media is doing this. This is what the media is doing. Well, I'll look into that for sure. Honestly, next layer above this that really bothers me that I find really frightening is the people on overpasses giving the Nazi salute and hanging Nazi flags as if that has anything to do with this concept of what we're talking about. Exactly. To me, that is real fear. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with those people other than to, <clears throat> you know. I right, here, wait. What is the scariest experience you can think of right now where you were just fucking scared to the bone? Funny thing how memory works. It blots that stuff out. Um, yeah. Um. <laughs> it was probably when I violated my NDA with my former um, employer, my, the movie company. And I got a call from them. Really? Yeah. Is that real? That's real. And where did you violate it? I was on a podcast that I wasn't supposed oh, to talk Oh, you mentioned about. that. You yeah. mentioned it in a previous episode. And uh, it was uh, difficult because I felt my whole soul sink to the bottom of my oh, belly because these are wow. people that I really love and care about. Right. And even though what I said was totally fine, it wasn't stuff I was supposed to talk about. Right. And they were like, it got back to them. And I was like, Ooh, shit. And so I was terrified and, you know, I was able to correct it. Fortunately, 
and you can't actually find that podcast online anywhere. And uh, <laughs> that is very nice of those folks to take that off for you. And I just recently got a call from my, the same person that called me that day five years ago and they and I are on good terms and there's no love lost. And so that was very, that recently very helpful. The other thing that I think was really terrifying to me Sounded like your house cleaner just got sucked up by a vacuum. <laughs> I'm scared of heights. So I was really? thinking about the various times I've been, you know, um, there was a point where I was working for the union in San Francisco, the IATSE, the, the stagehands union. And I was setting up the football, the, uh, the Super Bowl was in San Jose that year. And there was a party and I was setting up some projectors and gear and, you know, you can't be the guy that says, I'm scared of heights when you're in the union. It doesn't work that way. And I had to go way up on this ladder. Wow. And, you know, focus a projector that was hanging because it wasn't focused properly. And yeah. Were I was in a huge hall. It was it was big. It was big. And I was way up there. And even though I was on a very safe device. My body was quaking. Like I, I, this thing happens where my, my knees get weak, my thighs get shaky and my lower back starts to hurt. Like my body is just violently rebelling. But you didn't shake. Were you shaking? I did shake. I really did shake. And, but I was like, I breathed and I focused on getting the work done and I didn't look down. And I got it done. I had to like, actually, I had to like turn around at one point. Really, so I did that, and I got the focus right. And then I bumped it while I was trying to get back in yeah. place. I had to go back and do and fix it. I was like, ha- I was about a third of the way back to where I could start going down again because uh-huh. you know it was one of these long sorts of um, ramps. It wasn't a ramp. It was a um, a scissor lift. Right. Okay, okay. But I was I, to get to the thing, I was kind of leaning out over the edge of the scissor lift, not unsafely, but right, just, right, you right. know, and, and and I I could my whole body was terrified. Like, so, oh, have you um, ever had the idea to lean into that, like to purposefully go to a glass elevator or one of those skyscrapers that have the glass floor going out over the nothing? <laughs> Well, I had a coach friend who I told this to, and he suggested that he take me rock climbing. All right. And he was like, we'll, we'll go to Yosemite and I'll cure you of this by getting you out up there. And I'm like, yeah, no, thanks, dude. <laughs> you know, that cure My, sounds like poison. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you know, I think your concept is way more um, viable. Because my body's still going to freak out, but there's no actual danger right. to me in those glass things. And I've seen the YouTube videos or the uh, the the uh, TikTok videos where they they have those glass things, but they're screens, and so the video shows it cracking, and and people get like totally freaked out because it's it appears to be cracking, but it's just a transparent LCD oh screen. That, God, that, that is fucking nuts. Can you imagine that? Like just like having a video of the glass falling away. Holy shit. At one point I was considering jumping out of a plane and skydiving as a way I'll to try to you. interact with the fear. And I talked to a friend of mine who um, has done some skydiving and he said, look, the jumping out of the plane part I get, the reality is you are, there is a significant chance you'll break an ankle or a hip at your age. And so, yeah, there's some statistics around, around ankles and hips. So, um, I, I was like, okay, that's a, that's something I can use to avoid this. And I'll, I'll just use that idea to avoid jumping out of the plane. See, I thought jumping out of the plane was, there is absolutely an element of the brains going, what are you doing? This is a plane. Don't jump. There's an absolute experience in that. Um, but ultimately, there's no responsibility 
if you're jumping tandem because the you're hooked on to someone's you know harness and they're the one responsible for pulling the chute and getting you safely down so really all you have to do is nothing you just have to pay them a hundred something dollars and then you jump yeah i get that but tell me yours like what what's the thing that you were the most scared of all right. Well, there's probably a few I could say, but the one that I was, let's say I was probably 17 years old. And um, this one is still a strong, it doesn't have the um, venom it had because I've done a lot of processing with it, but I took acid and went with uh, Mike Healy and this other friend. And I can't remember the other friend's name. <laughs> Yeah, we went and saw The Exorcist on the 70-millimeter surround sound screen in San Francisco. And um, my parents and my brother and sisters had gone away, so I was home alone for the weekend. And my room was situated downstairs, and it was such that the light in my room shined across the stairway. So I went through the house. I was turning on all the lights. It's like two in the morning because we also went and saw Rocky Horror Picture Show right after. So I thought about this. I had this juxtaposition of the horrors of Halloween, like the real fucking evil. And then this sort of flamboyant other element of cross-dressing and sexuality that are scary, you know, but not really. Um, so the fun part, but anyway, I had all. I'll the tell you this: Frankenfurter scared me the first time. Really? I saw. Fuck! I loved that guy. Holy Christ! He had me questioning my sexuality. <laughs> um, not really, because there was what's her name, Susan Sarandon, who was like, "No, that's look at that's anyway. who I really want." Yeah, exactly. Holy bubble! Anyway, so I had all the lights on in the house. And as I'm coming down the stairs, the last light on is the one in my room. And it's shining. The house is dark, and the light is just shining across the bottom of the stairway. And it was so emulant of their poster they used with the street light and the father down. And I was just out of my fucking head. And then I had a waterbed at the time, too. And I get in the waterbed. I'm like, holy fuck. I'm just fucking out of here. Like, I was. And then that white. Did you see The Exorcist? No. I I have not to this day been willing to subject myself to the terror of The Exorcist. Well, let me say that the director was brilliant in things that he did. Like, in the soundtrack, they put in the buzzing of bees because they learned that psychologically the buzzing of bees puts people on edge and things like that. And there's this one element. They flash this white face, you know, like with these wide, dark eyes just on the screen real quick, like, bam, bam. And I would see that face and just be out of my skin, like, for decades later. And, and um, yeah, that was an experience that haunted me for a long time. <laughs> there was someone who I went to school with. His name was Bobby. And Bobby had seen The Exorcist, like, 12 times, and he would quote it. And he would like, you know, whatever the lines were. And, uh, you know, he did some weird things with a cross towards his groin. Yeah, yeah, that's I was like, all I needed to do was see Bobby. And I knew I never wanted to see that movie. The, you know, what's interesting, there's that element, you know, where, she, but like the cross scene is famous, but the things that really got me were the subtler aspects of the devil. Like um Damien is the father and he's having a challenge of his faith and he's, and his mother dies. And there's this one point where in the voice of his mom, the devil goes, Damien, why'd you do this to me, Damien? Why'd you do this to me? And he's got all this guilt of not being there for his mother when she died. And, and he's all, you're not my mother. And, you know, and then this laugh, you know, and oh my God. And, and the devil just poking at him just so, so eloquently is the word that comes to mind. I think that's 
Part of what really puts um, chills down my spine is the eloquence of evil. You know, like last podcast, you were talking about how you and um, Kathy have a mean day and you were um, making the distinction between being mean and vicious. And I think what you were saying is there's an element of in the vicious where yeah, you, what you said last week is you, you, there's no coming back. Once you go vicious, it's like you, the house is burned to the ground. Well, I finally remembered um, something that scared me, which was one summer we were basically living outdoors. We were staying at a friend's land up in Colfax, California. And the way the land was set up was that there were these little clearing areas with raised platforms. And we had beds on them but it was summer so there was no need for tents so it was open air and it was way out in the forest down these long dirt roads like it was a 40 minute drive down a dirt road and they were mining gold and they had an open air kitchen and a garden it was it was not hippie-ish but it, it felt very rustic and i decided to bring the original Mary Shelley's Frankenstein book to read so <laughs> it would get dark and i would light the candle by my sleeping pad and I would read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and then something would creak in the bushes and I would fucking lose my shit I'd be like that's so funny that I remember I was reading Salem's Lot and at the time it was in high school and it's the same room so the house was on a hillside and the window of my room was at ground level, like literally ground level. And I was sitting on the floor reading Salem's Lot. And my brother knocked on the window just to get my attention and say something. I fucking jumped out of my skin. It was nighttime. And oh, my God, I was scared to death. Did you ever read Salem's Lot? No, I never read that book either. I guess when it comes to horror, I'm kind of a chicken. Hey, um... What about like uh, um, Edgar Allan Poe? Well, I I think there's um, one that I read, the Telltale Heart. Telltale Heart. That's a fucking brilliant story. That's the one that I was thinking of, like where the guy's guilty and the heart's beating under the floorboards. And he's hearing it louder and louder. And I think it's such part of what I think Edgar Allan Poe captured with his macabre writing is that element of psychology where it's our own guilt that is creating the fear and horror that we're imagining. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like thinking of what you shared just earlier of this um, clause that had been broken and your fear is the guilt and shame. Like, I know how much your word and your bond means to you and how important these people were to you that you worked with for such a long time. And I imagine that that is the seeds of the horror you were feeling is your guilt. Well, guilt and, and uh, I think the scariest thing is when we let people down that we love. Yeah. Right. That yeah. That's... Unless you're a sociopath, and then you don't even notice. Well, then you don't even love them, right? Can a sociopath love? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> oh, my God. And Dahmer? You know, that's the thing. This I don't think that should funny. be on TV. Like, I want to write Netflix a letter and say, look, this guy's done. He, we experienced him. We do not need an entertaining story about this guy. Something might actually inspire someone else of his ilk or some. Well, I don't even think it needs to be out there energetically. Like I don't right. like censorship. Like I, I just don't like it, which is why I haven't written them a letter and gone or gone on Twitter and tried to like create some hassle for them. But it, it I, if I were sitting at, you know, the head of the Netflix Trump, you know, Pyramid. <laughs> pyramid. I would say, you know what? No Dahmer. We're not doing Dahmer. Yeah. Like you can make up stuff as scary as you want. 
but no Dahmer. And he can't do like, well, we'll just make up a story about a guy who eats people and, you know, lures them in. And then, His name's you know, no, Dahmer. <laughs> no, 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 um, not doing that. But look from a business perspective, how thrilled they are. That thing is off the charts. It's doing so well. And I hear like Halloween costumes, people are going to be dressing up as, is this name Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer? Hickam don't care. Sally Fields Dahmer. <laughs> That's so sad to say. I'm sorry, Sally. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, the new Broadway musical, Sally Fields <laughs> plays Dahmer. <laughs> uh, now to, just as a aside here, I've seen some of her recent work, and she's still a great actress. Yeah, she's always been a, a great yeah. actress. Uh, scary things, scary things. You know, the hopelessness I felt when I was first divorced and my family life had imploded or exploded or both simultaneously that dark feeling of hopelessness was very scary. That's a very scary feeling. Hmm. Like very, you know, um, in Course in Miracles, I just read uh, a few days ago how our feeling of abandonment only exists from our thoughts. It's not real. Our feeling of Less than, not enough, only comes from our thoughts. And it is only our thoughts in which we will realize the truth of those statements. Yeah, that makes total sense. I agree. I love that because it's like the poison we have in that is the healing antidote. You know, it's our thoughts. Our thoughts are creating our chaos, and it's also our thoughts that we will heal from it. Your mother's in here with us. <laughs> Your thoughts. Your thoughts. Your thoughts are the cauldron. Baby, why you do this to me, baby? Mark, why you do this to me, Mark? Why do you do this to me? Words are a spell that reverberate in your cranium. Donald Trump, 2024. Ah! I'm melting! Ah! Ah! Sometimes I'm afraid that I'm a narcissist. Like this morning, I was thinking, do I really love my children? And and I was feeling like I wasn't feeling a love for them. And I was like, oh, of course I do. And then I felt the love for them. I think that the, some of the biggest terror people have is also for their loved ones, like their children. Right? Like, yeah. Candy shared with me something very interesting that when her daughter was born, she immediately had this feeling of vulnerability because suddenly she realized that there was a way to get to her. So all her life, she always had the strength and perseverance. Like, I'm, I'm good. There's nothing you get. And suddenly there was like, oh, a vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. Fear is there to teach us something. Is it, though? Yeah, it What's is. What's it teaching us? I'm not sure. I haven't lived, learned it all yet. <laughs> what I remember is that Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, and Bunny Livingston, when they were just young bucks coming up in Jamaica before they were the Wailing Whalers, were asked by their mentor to go rehearse in the graveyard at midnight every day. Wow. And the idea there was if they could stop being scared in the graveyard, then they wouldn't be scared by any stage fright. Hmm. 
See, that's the kind of thing where I wonder, like, would, did that empower them to the point where they brought Rastafari out into the world, you know? Like, like there is that element of, like, your fear of heights. Yeah. If you were to choose a place where you just hung out in that high location, feeling everything you're feeling until you were at peace with it. And what kind of empowerment comes out of that experience? Yeah, well, um, I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> and yet you've agreed to be a part of this um, group that you're in. That's a very high level of participation and engagement, right? Has anyone fallen off, like shown up late? And well, we wrapped up last week. Oh, it's over now. Yeah. So now we're on, you know, you're on your own sustained level and we still have contact with each other, but there's no requirements. Right. Right. But I'm fulfilling my same um, practices daily that I was on there. The difference is that I've added a little bit of dairy back in, but not much. You did say that dairy was the one thing that you thought you were going to continue. Flour was what I thought I was going to have a problem with, but I'm, I'm cool with flour and sugar. No, you said that dairy was one you consciously weren't going to let go of completely. You just loved it too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I could. I was teasing you about the mother cows that are crying. Right. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Was that last week on our podcast? <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> that could be a scary sound effect. Do you have a sound effect of mother cows crying as their calves are being taken away and hauled off to slaughter? Well, are you hearing what I'm playing now? No. A little bit. So there was Bessie with her newborn calf, three days old. And Farmer John came and picked up the calf and walked away. And Bessie cried out, where are you going? Where are you taking my child? Farmer John turned to her and said, shut up, Sal. You're a milk machine. Get back to work. And hauled her little child off to the slaughterhouse, where Richie Whitey dined on veal two days later, not giving a damn about the cries of Bessie. Happy Halloween, bitches. The horrors of the slaughterhouse. Yes. <laughs> Hey, have you watched any of the live streams from the Universal Haunted Nights? No. It is pretty fun, I got to say. Oh, there's your bees. There they are. I feel a little on edge. I was watching a TikTok where a guy goes in and, and destroys Africanized killer bee nests on his Ooh. TikTok. That was Man. that's freaky. Yeah, that is freaky. It's so interesting that B world. Uh, there was one woman I started following, and then she just got into this weird dramatic thing with another B TikToker in Texas, and it just became very strange. It almost became like the underbelly of the Car Kardashians. It was weird. <laughs> the underbelly of the Kardashians would be weird. <laughs> There are people that would pay to see that. Fuck yeah, I'd pay to see that because the underbelly's kind of right there in the nest, isn't it? Poor, poor Pete. Oh, I don't think he's really so poor. You know, again, he had a couple of sentences he dropped about that whole thing where you're like, wow, if that really is the way that went down, that's kind of vicious. You know, maybe I too would create a video <laughs> with the severe head of the fucker who did that. <laughs> it's all perspective, though, right? Everyone's got their story. Hey, what do you think of this? I was seeing uh, yesterday or the day before how the whole zombie thing is another form of racism because it's taking what 
a voodoo, you know, of that thing and bastardizing it, I guess, is the word I would use. Well, the way I'd relate to it is probably not politically correct, but to use the words of Joe Jackson, everything is a racist, everything, there's no answer, everything is racist. Does he have a song like that? No, it's something else. It's everything gives you cancer. Oh. Everything. Have you heard his song? Um, There's no answer. Everything. <laughs> Have you heard his song about um, who a real man, you know, a real man, real men. I think that's the title of it. No, I haven't heard it. Is it good? It's really good. It's excellent. Yeah. Is it old school real men or is it a send up of what it means to be a real man? What? No, it's kind of like not a send up. I think it's a really uh nice questioning of what is a real man it's kind of like um you know pete townsend's song uh, um i know a man who's a man Mm, no it was a cover i think the who did it and you know it's like i know a man who's a man who's not afraid to cry um and the joe jackson song real men is like that now joe as i understand it i think he's uh, a gay gentleman so there is an element of that, like, look at all the um, men in line dressed up in leather, you know, don't call me a faggot unless you're a friend. And But what's beautiful is it just, it, it's bringing everything into question. Like, if this is this, and this is this, and this is this, like, then who's, what is a real man? Um Reminds me of the stones, you know, satisfaction, but he can't be a man because he doesn't wear this or he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me, you know, like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the big problems that people are trying to, you know, unpack in this, this era of, of these questions. This idea that we've been conditioned to understand what, masculinity and being male and female and femininity, you know, we're expected to adhere to some sort of cultural narrative about it. Yeah. I can speak from my own experience. And I think that's really the best thing to do in any of the situations is to just get the sense of, you know, try not to speak about things that you don't have experience with. I agree. And yet you and I were both aware of the ye chaos that's been going on the past week. And um, so there is an element of these generalizations are a part of our experience. Well, yeah, we're subject to all the cultural conditioning as well. Right. Um, I think as far as gender dynamics go, I'm in a tough spot because I have younger sisters and younger cousins who want to make me understand better things that I actually think I understand. And I've already sort of made staked out my territory around. And, you know, I've been, there's been a lot of effort placed into educating me about these issues and trying to help me raise my consciousness about it. And so I remain curious about my inherent and conditioned biases that show up. Right. And I get to have some determination about how I want to be in the world. I get to decide. Absolutely. Absolutely you do. Right. Yeah. And that's based on my particular biography and my particular framework. So, my journey has been about cultivating masculinity because the model I had for it as a young, as a baby boy and as a young boy and then growing up felt off. It, it felt like there was something missing. And so I've been on a quest to figure it out. And so that has me exalting and placing high emphasis on things that are, um, aspects of character that people might put in the bin called masculine, right? Like 
And I'm unapologetic about wanting to be a masculine male and wanting to cultivate that part of myself. And then when I show up in social media circles, I'm getting flack about it. So how's it, how's the flack show up? Like how's your little sisters giving you shit about masculine? I don't, yeah. I don't really want to call them out specifically. All right. Let's call someone out. Doesn't have to be them, but someone. Tinkerbell, did you hear? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you doing over there? Doing what? I'm masturbating. Oh, no. I like hearing about people's foibles. <laughs> it turns me off. <laughs> I see. I see. When the whole oh, idea of ma- confronting masculinity turns you on. Turns me on big time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Your mother and I like dancing to Bach. Okay. She's not very good dancer. Oh, she's been yeah. decaying oh. for eight years, but she's actually dusty in a box. So you're dancing with her spirit, which I'm, I'm all for. Like, you know, she loved to dance. My mom loved to dance. She, she loved funny, you know, short men too. Funny short men. You call me funny short man. <laughs> funny short man. Little um, tiny man. Did you ever see that episode of um, Extras? With well, Rick well I'm going to go back to another point in the conversation, which is that if something bugs me about a critique that I'm receiving about my personal expression, then that's a clue that I have something in there that I'm actually agreeing with that about. I agree. Right? Absolutely. And so I think that's a powerful thing to notice. Absolutely. That's why I love the the sentence, all white Americans are racist. Because if I said all purple Americans are oranges, who cares? No one's saying anything. So I, I just think that sentence is such a beautiful place to start a conversation about racism. Did you want to have that conversation now on Halloween? Are um, ghosts racist because they're depicted as white? Are ghosts white? <laughs> Was Casper Jesus. really in the clan? <laughs> Casper the Klansman. Oh Casper the Klansman was very happy soul. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh, good. I have to go. I'll be right back. (laughs) All right. So we lost uh, zombie apocalypse. I think I think it's really a bathroom break. Let's bring some music in, shall we? Because now I'm on my own. My partner in crime has disappeared. And that's what we fear the most. Being abandoned, left on our loan. In a dark, lonely world, with strangers and evil, people with bright yellow eyes, sharp teeth, nasty sharp claws, eviscerating our bowels, spilling out onto the graveyard ground. Flooding gut. Where the hell? Well, people, maybe. This is a short episode. What else do we have here? This is going to get us kicked off. sounds echo through the halls whenever candlelights flicker where the air is deathly still that is the time when ghosts are present practicing their terror with ghoulish delight 
Oh, I'm back. So that was a bathroom break, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Things were moving. I had to go. Wouldn't that have been scary if you had just let it all happen right there in your office? That would have been scary to me. Yeah. It, I don't know. Something about Casper really set me <laughs> off. Casper, the friendly Klansman. <laughs> My bladder was like, nope. <laughs> Time to go. Time to go. Hey, what do you think of that? That was a good, um, it wasn't really scary, but the wall definitely had some deep psychologically disturbing elements to it. The film? The or whole the premise of the story. I think they did a great job of the story with that film. But yeah, the, you know, the protective mom, the cheating wife who's cheating because he's so distanced going into that element of uh, fascism. I think there's a budding film festival here with the wall, the movie and the exorcism and then like the last one would be the seventies version of Tommy, which with, with Elton John and Tina Turner and all those guys. Oh yeah. And uh, uh, what's her name? Who was Anne Margaret. That was a great movie. Hey, did you ever see Phantom of the um, Phantom of the opera? No, no, no. no. Phantom the, of the paradise. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that as that a would kid. Be, that would be the fourth film in the series. That was, and then good. at midnight we show Rocky horror, right? Or The Exorcist. No. no. Exorcist stands all on its own. You know what? I just thought of another time. There's two movies that have unnerved me. Well, there's more than that, actually. But did you ever see Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? No. I remember it. Well, um, what was so amazing about it is before I saw it, I always thought like the scariest movie that a person could make is a po- a movie about like Hitler, but in such a way that as an audience person sitting there, you could, you could, um, un- you could, what do you have an affiliation with getting to that place of a monster, you know, like you could identify with the steps so that by the time the person was the monster, you were like, Oh, that could be me. And that's what Henry portrait of a serial killer did. It shows this person as a child and you're there like as an audience, if it's a really good film, you're resonating with what's going on. And there was this thing like, fuck, I've got a serial killer in me. Like, whoa. We talked about that kind of on, on that episode we did about Mondays. Um, And I think that, this is what's amazing about Halloween in general and is that it taps into a a very dark part of ourselves that is always there and always part of the possibility. And it's, it's anger, it's rage, it's pain. It's all of those things, but sometimes it's, it's above all that. It's so cold and rational and it has no, deep emotion at all. It's just this, you know, like what I can say about myself is there's a very potent violence that I have access to in myself. That isn't about anger, rage, fear, sadness, grief, or any of that. Not no retribution. It's just like, um, I think it comes with testosterone. I'm not sure. Because I've only got me as an experiment to, to right. understand it by. I don't have a, a much of a sample. to, But I think that's, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing to open up your self-inquiry to the point of allowing yourself to admit that you could have a monster inside you yeah. and to, to notice that aspect of yourself and to then create space for acknowledging it and integrating it so that it's not an orphan that's off there getting sadder and angrier until it blows up. Right. 
Well, I think that Native American story of the wolf's two wolves in us and which one survives, the one you feed. Yeah. Like, that's where I land for myself. Like, yeah, okay, that seed is in me until I figure out how to heal it completely. But let's not feed it. Let's let that just be on dead ground and dry up and wither away. Yeah. And, and that part of what I guess I've come to in recent days, years, whatever, is alchemizing. Because you're right. You don't want to ignore something and it just grows stronger for the need for attention. Yeah. So let's alchemize it so that it's something po- positive. Well, over the course of this podcast and knowing you, one of the things that's come up for me is I used to be a lot more afraid of the part of you that, you know, goes dark. <laughs> and uh... I used to get concerned and and my I would make meaning that there's something wrong or, you know, and over time I've come to realize that you being able to actually have access to it and give voice to it means it's not threatening. Yeah. It's there. It's you, you play with it. I don't ever expect you to act out on it, you know? Um, and if, you know, if something were to happen and they, I was that guy being interviewed, I would never say, well, he seemed like such a nice guy. I was really surprised. I would say, well, you know, there were these things on our podcast where he just brought the darkness. So we shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it was there. I thought he would be able to manage it, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess he should have stopped drinking coffee sooner. Never! <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> a world without yeah. coffee is scary. You know, I had a very um, self-congratulatory egoic moment during my um, initiation with these men where one of the things that was up for a couple of the, my cohorts were the idea that they were going to quit caffeine and quit coffee. And I was like, I quit in January. Like I had this whole moment where I was like, Oh shit, that's like bullshit, Mark. Like cut that shit out. Like, you know, stop it, fatty. Right. So, <laughs> how about another pint of Haagen-Dazs, big boy? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, that's what I love about uh, that movie with um, Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. Um, what is it called? Damn it. Where Al Pacino's the devil. And Keanu Reeves, yeah, yeah, the he, yeah. I remember the one. I know what you're talking about. I wish I could remember the title now. Maybe if I drank caffeine, I would know. Yeah, um, <laughs> drink yeah. some more of that squirrel juice that's helping your memory. <laughs> um, but whatever it is, okay, squirrel nut sack juice. I don't know. Anyway, what I love. I've recently started taking pine pollen, but I haven't had any today. And that's good for making more pine trees. Memory and other things. Okay. Okay, witchy zombie apocalypse. Um, <laughs> what I love about it is the movie starts with the devil seducing Keanu in the bathroom of that courthouse. Goes through the whole horrific story that just is a climatic hellfire chaos Keanu gets out of it and he's okay he's like oh thank god you know like I it didn't happen and he's back in the bathroom and the devil's back and seduces him all over again and the devil turns to the camera and goes that's what I love about human beings and I forget the exact words but in essence he's like you're so full of ego you just like it's so fucking easy yeah, And so that element that you speak of, of there you are hearing these guys like, oh, no, caffeine, really? And you're like, ah, I fucking did that ages ago. Right. And you're like, but it's so beautiful that you realize so quickly, oh, that's a, that's a, you know, white it's fucking color. bullshit, Mark. It's bullshit. Yeah, that's yeah. a castle built of sand. Nice job, white boy. <laughs> yeah, I love that um, Jimi Hendrix song, Castles Made of Sand, mm-hmm. you know, because there's that element like he's talking about the girl in the wheelchair and her ships coming in. And like and, and, and as I'm hearing the song, I'm like, oh, right on. He's like, ah, but nope. 
<laughs> You're like, oh, shit. Fucking life is hard. The name of the film is Devil's Advocate. Okay, Devil's Advocate. There you go. Yeah, that's what yeah, it's called. That was brilliant. So that's good. And who's the woman who played his wife? She did a great job. I don't know. I already closed that window. Okay. <laughs> Man, her, like, the the way they fucked with her, and she's, like, trying to tell him, like, no, this is really not good. He's like, oh, my God. And they're all like, oh, your wife, is she okay? You know, like, it, it was a really done, well done story. It's one of the things about Keanu Reeves' career that's so interesting because he plays Constantine. He plays yeah. in this Devil's Advocate thing. And then yeah. he plays Neo. Yeah. So there's all this incredible symbolism in some of the characters he plays. It'd be fun to cut shots of him together from all of those different films and make like a hybrid film where he spouts some kind of philosophical garbage. In. Or even the John Wick. Have you seen those? I'm I'm uh, happy to admit that I love the John Wick series, even though they're you know, um, they got better and better too. Like the John, well, the, the first next one, one apparently is going to be the best. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, the, like that's a series where the first one I was like, oh, that was good. The second one was like, oh, that was pretty good. Third one was like, oh, that was fucking great. <laughs> right. I think on some levels it's hard to buy in to his ongoing motivation. In the first film, it's really obvious. Like, dude, if you did that to me, I'm coming for you, right? But at this point, like, okay, come on. Like, hasn't he had enough yet? Like, I watched The the Gladiator again, and I'd forgotten so much about it. And um, that had a great revenge thing. Did you ever read, what's that great revenge story? The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, that was such a great revenge story. There's a couple of different movies. I think I've watched both of them. One was the old, like, 60s version, and then there was one that was released, I think, in the, the late 70s. Or Did you whatever. read the book? Um, I don't remember reading the book. Doesn't the, mean it didn't happen. But I Right, don't. right. I just know, I don't know if I ever saw any of the movies. I might have seen parts. I just know there was so much depth in the book. There's no way they could have put that yeah, in. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And great literature is like that in general. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you going to be tonight? When Are you going to go uh, trick-or-treating? You know, I think the scariest thing I can be is your father. Going to be Darth Vader? Bless thee, zombie, for you have sinned. Not sure I understand, but you are scaring me a little bit. You don't need to fucking understand. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Recording stopped.